everyone, and welcome to The Darkest Hour. I'm your host, Amanda Jane. Being alone, it can be refreshing, necessary. It's good to be able to be alone. But sometimes, being alone is the last thing you want. Alone in your thoughts, alone in your experiences. Because when you're alone, well, that's it. No one's coming, as they say. You're on your own. Some may solve this by simply never being alone. So when they see that ghost or encounter that stranger, they've got a witness, a buddy. But in the case of some of tonight's stories, it's hard to expect the unexpected. And sometimes, we're forced to face it alone. So, let's get started, shall we? I was at the laundromat today with my father and my one-and-a-half-year-old. To kill some time between loads, I took my extremely active tot outside, where he couldn't destroy things. There was a gas station about 30 yards next door, and there was a six-foot chain-link fence halfway between that separated the lots. The area just outside the laundromat that's connected to this fence was a little grassy, sandy, open area with one large tree right in the center. My son runs outside, turns, and starts running around in this area, laughing and playing, which is great. After about a minute, he starts running up diagonally towards the fence in the direction of the gas station. I'm laughing behind him, watching his little legs go, when all of a sudden... I hear footsteps approaching behind me, so I turn and look, and I kid you not, it was like the movie Get Out. This man was just straight, knee to chest, running straight towards my child, with manic eyes. I bolted and scooped him up. I darted back into the laundromat so fast. I glanced back over my shoulder when I was taking off, and the guy was now on his knees laughing, and then rolling around, being all weird. I'm not sure if he was mentally ill or high, but I was shaking so bad because I had no clue what his intentions were. My father told me this story from his childhood very recently, and as a firm believer in ghosts, I decided I needed to do some research on it. If anyone knows any legends or stories that sound similar to this, please give me your thoughts. For reference, as a child, my father was around ten when this happened. He lived in a cabin on stilts, right next to a river in the mountains. The long driveway that led to his house, along with the other cabin that belonged to a family friend, and was primarily used as a vacation home, had sort of a slope on one of the sides. It went down rather far, and trees filled the area. 
where the land became flat, there sat an old trailer, one of those small ones. And part of the river was near it, which will later be important to the story. Keep in mind that no one in the family ever spoke about this trailer. And as far as my father could remember, it was never even acknowledged. My father and his cousin would constantly explore places that most people would walk away from, even as young children. I've been told stories of them climbing down into caves with only a flashlight, or just waltzing into abandoned cabins in the middle of the woods without a second thought. Yet, they never went down to that trailer. My father said they would often look down the hill to the trailer, but never climb down due to the intensely negative vibe the place gave off. One night, my father and his cousins were playing outside around dusk. For some reason or another, they ended up at the top of the hill, looking down at the trailer. This time, though, it was different. Near the top of the trailer, there was a small window, a small little port window kind of thing. They saw a face looking back at them through the window and immediately booked it. They ran down the driveway back towards the cabin, panicked about what they had just seen. When my father looked back, they saw a floating head chasing after them. My father had a hard time describing the head, as it had been a long time since this event took place, but he kept reiterating that it had a strange kind of glow to it. The way he described it was as if you were to look at a light bulb. It was like the aura around it. His cousin said it seemed like a fireball. When they arrived back at the cabin's front porch, the head was no longer chasing them and was nowhere in sight. They never told their parents about the experience because, as my father says, a floating head was chasing us. Who's going to believe that? Later, I believe a year or so later, it could have been longer, a huge flood hit the area. The waters were so deep that the entire trailer would have been completely submerged. When the flood waters receded, the trailer was gone, washed away with the water. No one in the family ever mentioned it or spoke about it. And no trace of it was ever seen again. This is an experience my girlfriend had when she was younger. Around 2010, she was at her grandmother's house. It's an old, single-wide trailer in the woods. It belonged to her great-grandmother before, so it's around 40 years old. It's got some rooms added toward the back of it, with a curtain separating the rooms from the original trailer. In one of the rooms in the back, the windows are covered with some sort of clear plastic, and then blinds over that. The wall that the windows are on is covered in Raggedy Ann dolls, since her grandma is an avid collector of old dolls. In the room is a bed that sits opposite to the windows, which are toward the farther side of the trailer. And outside of the window, 
is a pretty large clearing before the woods start. That night, she was laying in bed, facing the window while everyone else was in the living room, which is the next room over. The blinds on the window were open this night, and as she looked out, she saw a tall male figure walk up to the window outside. As it was walking up, it seemed to have been looking around, scanning the area as it walked until it noticed the window, and that's when it walked up to the window. The way she describes it is the figure had a ghoulish white face, very defined cheekbones, with skin that looked pretty smooth, almost like a porcelain doll. It was wearing very dark, black glasses. It was bald and wearing some type of bowler hat. Something like you'd see some old-timey person wearing. It had a black suit with what looked like a bow tie. It was holding its hands in sort of a propped-up position, with fingers interlocked and its hands across its upper torso. It seemed to have also been wearing a gold watch. Its body was pretty skinny, enough to be noticeable since the suit that it was wearing was pretty loose. When she saw it, she felt really creeped out since that trailer has a history of paranormal things happening, a lot of them having been experienced by her while growing up. It kind of just sat there and stared at her for a few minutes until she finally got the courage to get out of the room. She went and told her grandparents that someone was outside of the trailer at the window. Her grandfather got his gun and went out to the side where she'd seen the figure to see if anyone was out there. He didn't see anything. After that, they all went inside, locked all of the doors. She ended up staying in the living room with her grandparents, and it wasn't seen again. This is a memory my sister and I have from when we were kids. We both remember it exactly the same. We were walking down the hallway towards our bedroom when we saw a strange figure at the end of the hall, just outside our room. It was your stereotypical, almost transparent figure under a bedsheet type of thing. No feet, just hovering. Only it wasn't pure white. It had more of a greenish-blue glow to it. We stood frozen, and we waited for it to move. We knew that our parents were in the living room, just behind us, to our right. It started to glide forward, but before it got far, we'd forced our legs to make us move in the direction of our parents, and we ran without looking back. Our parents consoled us, and went to examine the hallway themselves. They saw nothing. But what did we see? Whatever it was, 
we never saw it again. After a painful breakup, I decided to try Tinder and Bumble. I'd gone on a few dates on both, and everything went fine. This one guy on Tinder seemed nice enough. He was attractive, intelligent, and a schoolteacher in the area. We talked for about two weeks before the idea of a date came up, but he said that he'd been in a recent auto accident, leading to a concussion. He was thus advised against unnecessary driving for at least a month. As a person in the medical field, this checked out. We talked for about two months as he was healing, and then finally had our date. We had lunch at a place that he picked. It was fine, the food was good, and the alcohol selection was nice. He was rude to the waitress, which put him in the negative along with his MySpace photo angles. After lunch, he asked if I would take a walk with him through this park. I said yes. We drove there separately. It was about a mile away. We walked through the park until we came by some swings. I beelined it for them because I love swings, and there was no one else in the park. As I was happily swinging, he stood there watching me. Finally, he asked, Hey, what do you think would happen if you were to die right now? How would you feel? And I laughed, feeling happy on the swings. I would be happy, I guess. <laughs> and then he asked, Well, what would you feel if someone made that happen? And so I asked what he meant. And he elaborated. What would you feel if I were to make you crack your head as you fell off the swings? And that's all the specifics I really remember. Because what followed was this guy describing how he would kill and torture me. I don't remember his specifics, but I remember thinking, Oh, fuck. There's no one here. Let's keep him happy. And I was agreeing to certain words like, Scream pain and big finally a family started down the hill towards us and i fucking booked it him at my heels blathering on about whatever i got to my car and there was a full audience at this point and he leaned into me saying so i'm going to lean into you and i flinched away from him he straightened up and ran to his car and left I tried to report him on Tinder, but he'd already deleted his account. He never told me his last name. He explicitly wouldn't when I asked that day. Two weeks later, he texted me saying that my manners were horrible and that my swing set banter was terrible. I blocked him and had nightmares for weeks afterwards. I encountered what I believe was Bigfoot on two separate occasions. 
My first experience was when I was young. My parents had me in a very small private Christian school in rural Maine. I had roughly six classmates, and only one was my age, the teacher's son. One day, we were running around outside, racing, playing with rocks and things of that nature. Normal seven to ten-year-old boy stuff. Now, out back of the church, there was a very large clearing, which I assumed at the time was to make room for additions. But me and my buddy, Josh, always liked to mess around back there, as the earth was extremely uneven. Little divots to hide in, plenty of rocks to flip over and discover salamanders. On this particularly warm afternoon, we were nearing the tree line when we both smelled something foul. We scoured the area for potential dead animals and found next to nothing. As we neared the center of the field, Josh stopped in his tracks and just stared at the tree line, frozen with fear. I called out his name a couple of times, and he just turned and ran, telling me, Run! Run! I looked in the direction that made him flee, and I saw a very tall, upright human figure walking between trees with its face following me. Hair covered its body. I too took off and never went back. Our parents, of course, said that we saw a bear, but we know what we saw was no bear. Fast forward to 2012. I've gotten married, have a child, and have enlisted in the U.S. Navy. I was stationed in the Pacific Northwest and have heard the stories, but heeded none of the warnings. My wife scoured the internet one weekend for an easy hike. Our daughter wasn't really old enough to walk, so we decided to bring the stroller. I'm going to be honest, I don't remember the exact location, but I do know that it was off the beaten path. We pulled up to the trailhead and we saw a couple of people very swiftly get into their vehicle, almost panicked, and they sped off. My wife and I dismissed it as they were probably in a hurry to get somewhere, so we continued, business as usual. We began down the path and almost immediately started getting an uneasy feeling. Mutually and audibly, we agreed that something was off. About five minutes deep into this actually rough path, the stroller was a bad decision, we heard a blood-curdling scream, which sounded like a woman, but not quite human. It was deep in the woods to our left. My wife and I looked at each other frantically. Time to go. I grabbed my daughter and my wife grabbed the stroller, and we took off. We heard the scream moments later, but this time it was much closer. And now we were hearing something very large trudging through the woods, but we couldn't see anything. We slowed down to listen, trying desperately to keep our location hidden, despite the fact that we felt like we were being watched. Now, the thing moving in the woods was coming from different directions without warning. We could not pinpoint where to keep our eyes, which direction. 
As we paused briefly again, it seemed like the woods stood still. No sounds, not even birds chirping. We felt like this was our opportunity to barrel out of there. We took off. We were close to the trailhead anyway. Not seconds after our borderline sprint, a massive boulder, probably a hundred pounds, launched across the trail as if by slingshot, bouncing off the massive trees. We tried to see where it came from, as there were no hills, but to no avail. We kept moving, and we noticed a downed tree that was in the walking path, which wasn't there previously. After that, we got into our vehicle and took off. Were these humans messing with us? My wife and I didn't wait to find out. It was terrifying, and I doubt that we'll ever know the truth. So this was about three years ago. It still creeps me out. I was 18 at the time. I'm now 21. I was walking home from work at the local pizza joint, and I took my usual route home. It was about 9.45, p.m., and it was super dark. As I'm getting about 100 yards away from the street I live on, a white van turns onto the street. Something didn't sit right with me, so I yanked out my earbuds and paused my music. I then turn down my street, and as I'm getting closer to my house, I start getting a weird gut feeling. I look up from my phone as I was about to text my roommate, who was out of town at the time, that I was almost home, about 15 yards or so. As I look up, I notice the white van sitting in front of my house, and the man inside is just staring at me. The yellow car light shining on his face. He had brown hair, glasses, facial hair. His van lights were off, but his car was running. I stop and I put my back to a tree in my neighbor's yard, and I just stood there, maintaining eye contact with this man after about what seemed like eternity, probably five minutes. He starts driving towards the stop sign at the end of the road. I didn't put my back to him. I kept my back to the tree and maintained visuals on the van the entire time until it stopped at the stop sign. He just sat there for probably two or three minutes, all while I'm not looking away and while my back was still on the tree. Finally, he turned right, the direction in which I'd come from, and about 20 seconds of making sure that nobody else was coming, I bolted to my house. I quickly get inside and lock the door. I go to the window and very quietly look through the blinds. After a few seconds of looking, he drove back up and down the street and left again. Afterwards, I text my roommate what happened and then went to each and every one of the windows in my house to make sure they were locked along with the back door 
and garage door. I made sure to keep all the lights off for the remainder of the night. I didn't sleep a lick that night. I was so paranoid at every sound or movement. Let's just say, I never walked home after that. this belongs here, but it's such a weird yet insignificant event that I need to share it. I was at a family event today, Queen's Platinum Jubilee, and unfortunately, my family eats that kind of thing up. There were a few relatives I knew, but hadn't spent a lot of time with. While I sat away from the main celebrations with my partner and one of the kids, she was nine and took a shine to us. I thought I could smell smoke. I didn't vocalize it, didn't even look up from my phone, I just thought it. The girl looked at me and said, You're right, they're having a fire next door, you can see the smoke. She then proceeded to point above the trees where there was smoke. My partner asked what she was going on about and she didn't reply. I later asked my partner if I had spoken out loud about the fires, and she said no. I also thought shouted her name for like ten minutes after, and I got no response. So, less psychic, and more glitch. It was raining. An ambulance's approach can be heard just beyond the hill in the distance. I'm no longer sitting in my driveway, listening to the Vikings game on the radio. I'm no longer in my car at all. An inhale brings the cold air into my lungs, piercing the warmth they once held. Exhaled in a fog in front of me, as if waking from a dream, my conscious senses begin to construct the reality around me. A quick glance down reveals that I'm now standing on the ledge of a bridge. The waters below travel at an unforgiving pace. A dark, raging current witnessed from what is surely a perishable height. Shock and terror propel me backward. My legs react before my brain and I desperately cling onto the metal light pole that shared the small ledge with me. Tight in my embrace, I notice that I'm not alone. On the bridge standing in the road, I locked eyes with a young man. He's in distress, holding a cell phone up to his ear and pleading with someone not to jump. I realize his requests are directed towards me. And suddenly, the darkness around us is extinguished by the arrival of ambulance lights. Behind the ambulance is a cop car. The officer leaps out of his vehicle and runs towards me, telling me to hold on. 
When they help me back over the steel bridge rail, I'm led to the back of the ambulance where they take my vitals, and the cop asks what I was doing up there. I didn't know. I didn't know how I got up there. I didn't know where I was. And my car was nowhere to be found. But I told them everything that I could remember, including that the last place I saw my car was in my driveway. I accept the ambulance ride to the local hospital where they can do some tests on me. As we walk in, I see that it's almost four in the morning. Earlier that day, or more accurately, the day prior, I dropped my partner off at the airport. I didn't want to alarm her just before she got on a plane, but I had a mini heart attack on the freeway while driving us there. The steering wheel fell through the fingers of my left hand, but I held on with my right. After a series of violent palpitations, somehow, by the grace of God, my heart rate started to calm down. We make it to the airport and say our goodbyes. As the sliding glass consumed our final gaze, I felt my heart start to act up again. A horse in my chest spooked from the trot of a death gallop. In anticipation for the pain to grow, I quickened my steps to get back in the car and scramble for my heart medication in the glove box. It's the music of a dead man, I thought, while the pills dance and crash into the orange walls of the bottle, like maracas as my shaking hands try to steady the beat. With a few drops of moisture found in a Gatorade bottle under the seat, I managed to swallow the two pills. Then I sat in the airport parking garage and turned on the Vikings game for a while, until I felt confident to drive again. When the first quarter ended, I began my trip home. During the drive, I decided to get some McDonald's. I take the exit ramp, but then I have to look again because it seems, somehow, I'm merging back onto the freeway. The cars behind me are honking, and I hastily merge back onto the freeway, thinking what happened could be blamed on an absent-minded distraction. Like when you walk into a room and forget what you were there for. I'll just get food closer to home, I thought. And that's when I saw the McDonald's bag sitting in my passenger seat. The hunger pains I'd previously felt have manifested into sharp jabs of fear and doubt. The sensation is breathtaking. I hit the hazards and pull off to the shoulder, and I dig inside the bag for a receipt. If the time on my dashboard was correct, it had been a half-hour difference from when I got my McDonald's to tapping my hazards. But what truly scared me was that there was another bag under the McDonald's. A paper bag with a pack of Marbreds in it. I don't smoke. That receipt unsettlingly reads just shy of ten minutes to the dash. The truest confusion draws tears to my eyes, and I sob, parked on the shoulder, as the Vikings game goes into halftime. My partner won't be landing for another hour, and as I contemplate what to do next, it's hard to ignore my paranoia that this could happen again. I know I probably should have just stayed there and 
called an Uber or a cab. But the expenses involved in letting my car get towed consciously pushed me back onto the road. By the end of the third, I'm about to reach the exit into town, four miles away. Looking down at my hands, I'm shaking again. But vibrating through the shakes, water droplets start forming on the back of my hands. The car isn't hot. I don't feel hot. But I start to feel the dampness of my hands begin to transfer throughout my body. Drops of cold water race from the nape of my neck down my spine. I think I'm having a profound cold sweat. The sweat begins to get in my eyes, and it makes the steering wheel hard to grip. I hear an ambulance climbing the rows of traffic behind me. My car is in the lane. It will be obstructing soon. The lane next to me opens up and I grab the wheel as steady as I can and begin to get over. Using extra caution, I look back and then forward. What was originally in front of me was a silver Mazda. Then, in the blink of an eye, an entirely different car. Maroon Chevy Tahoe on an entirely different street. I'm on my street, and the game... It's almost over. As I rip into my driveway, I put the car in park and I rest my head against the headrest as I contemplate calling an ambulance. A part of me just wants to go inside and go to bed. But it's in that moment that I'm transported to where I started the story. The ledge. From gas pedals beneath my feet to the stone of that ledge all in the blink of an eye. The officer that night must have felt pity for the state that I was in, because after I was shipped off to the hospital, they did a sweep from the bridge back to my address, looking for my car. The officer showed up at the hospital, and he says that they'd located it, telling me that it was indeed parked in my driveway. He looked a little concerned as he continued on, telling me that the keys were still in the ignition and that my phone was on the front seat and my front door was wide open. They walked inside, but nothing looked burglarized. All of my electronics were still plugged in and my wallet was even on the living room table. The officer takes it out of his pocket and gently tosses the worn leather along with my keys onto the metal tray beside my hospital bed. They were kind enough to lock everything up and bring my things to the hospital. But they weren't about to let me get back on the road after everything I just told them. The next couple of hours, I was almost wishing to black out, as inconclusive test after inconclusive test was read to me by a training physician. And as much as I wanted to safely stay in the confines of my hospital room under the watchful eye of medical professionals... It was made pretty clear to me that staying wasn't going to be an option. At this time, there was nothing more they could do for me. Call us if you experience another episode, were the last words spoken to me at the ER. Well, actually, I did hear from the receptionist, okay, be outside in five minutes, as she confirmed that she'd called a cab for me. 
Once again, I was utterly alone in the world. My cell phone was dead, but at least back in my possession. The whole cab ride home, my eyes rapidly panned from the road to the clock every 30 seconds. Terrified, I'd blink again to find an unfamiliar world around me. And now, I had to worry about somebody else being involved. When the cab pulled up to my house, I didn't bother waiting for any type of change. Just tossed the driver some twenties and made my way to the front door, which was still closed and thankfully not wide open. Entering the house, I notice immediately it's permeated with the thick smell of cigarette smoke. The marbreds that were previously on my passenger seat are now laying on the floor of my living room. Four smokes are missing from the pack. My loathing for the moment turns into spiteful determination to figure out this puzzle of mind and body. When my phone turns back on, tons of voicemail notifications and text messages start filling up my notification bar. While it's still vibrating, I call my wife and I tell her everything up to that point. She reacts exactly how I expect her to, probably exactly how any loving partner would. She tells me that she's finding a flight to take out tomorrow, to stay home, and that she'll get a ride back. Unfortunately, since then, this has not been an isolated incident. Though I don't have many more answers, I've been prescribed medications and keep going through different tests. Right now, I'm on a medication called Nemenda. It's supposed to help with cognitive short-term memory loss. And Mydridin, which is supposed to help with the blackout part. I'm lucky to have married the most patient woman on the planet. She's become my record keeper of the day-to-day. She's also trained herself to look for signs that I may be stumbling into a mental void. The part I find really unsettling, and we haven't been able to get many answers on, is the fact that when I go through these blackouts or episodes, my wife says my personality changes. She says the person that she's talking to is no longer me. From my voice, my mannerisms, everything just sort of changes. I know it scares her just as much as it does me. If I'm honest, I'm nervous that this is my life now, that this is the outlook for the rest of my marriage. I feel like the solitude of my soul has been pulled away somehow. Does this kind of thing sound familiar to anyone? Has anyone experienced something remotely like this? The time slips. The changes in personality with no sign of brain injury or psychological disorder. Maybe you know someone who's had this happen to them. I'm losing hope, so casting a wider net, thinking maybe I'll gain some. I wouldn't have bothered writing this story if I hadn't already exhausted every other outlet in existence. So, here's my shot in the dark that someone somewhere out there will be able to empathize, maybe give advice on, I guess, just surviving. Anyway, thanks for listening.
Well, friends, it appears we've reached the end of tonight's episode. But don't miss a brand new one every Friday. I want to thank those who shared their stories. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. Don't forget to like this video, subscribe to The Darkest Hour, and tap the bell so you never miss a thing. I sure do appreciate all of it, and I can't thank you enough. Huge shout-out to all of my patrons for their unwavering support. Miss Anthropia, Shane Q, Monica L, The Dark Cosmos, Zoe Watt, Shelly B, Rat Girl, Alicia S, Aaron G, and The Darkest Hour's newest patron, Donald C. If you want to support The Darkest Hour in other ways, consider joining my Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash thedarkesthour, or click the link in the description to learn more. You can keep up with me and all things Darkest Hour over on my Instagram, at thedarkesthourYT. Or if you'd prefer, follow me on Twitter, AmandaJaneTDH. Do you have stories like these? I'd love to share them. Send them to me, AmandaDarkestHour at gmail.com. Or on the Darkest Hour subreddit, The Darkest Hour YT. Stay spooky.